0: Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunderland Preview Show. It's started to hit the business end of the season and whilst Sunderland's performances have been a little bit ugly of late, the table and the results have been looking a little bit prettier than maybe it was a month ago. However, this weekend we come up against a team that have been a thorn in our side more than just once in Lincoln City as we travel to Sunsil Bank at the weekend and to join me in the preview show is one of last season's most loved guests, which is pretty <laughs> decent, pretty decent to be fair, isn't it, Tom, considering that you first featured in the aftermath of knocking us outside of the, the playoffs. It's, I'm sure you've noticed, the Times Digital Sports Editor and
1: massive Lincoln fan, Tom Clark. How are you doing? You all right? I'm all right, Graham. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, much happier times for me and our, our Lincoln uh, support, but um, I was thinking about that before the show, where we were when we last chatted. We were on our way to Wembley and... Happier times and thinking, oh my God, we're going to be in the championship. You were talking about getting rid of Lee Johnson and what a joke he was. And look where we are now. You've got rid of Lee Johnson. You're you're going back in the playoffs, and we're fighting for our lives to stay in League One. So, so it's, it's a funny old game, and it doesn't take much for it to turn completely on its head.
0: Funny. You know, I always like to listen back to the shows, like say if I had a previous guest on. I'll go, I oh, will listen back and make sure I just don't repeat the same damn questions and sound <laughs> a little bit more interesting than I did last time. And. System back and you were just like quite chilled about it. Your hair was considerably longer, which obviously this is an audio <laughs> podcast, people don't care about that. Um, but I was like, oh well, you know, maybe next season we'll we'll build and Johnson can do this, but I'm not hundred percent sure on Johnson. Lo and behold, I was right on the Johnson bit. I was completely wrong in my hope that we might have been able to build on something. But as you said, it's a it's a bit worse for you. But before we begin, I've got to say, you know, we're recording before you well, during your away game at Rotherham, you're coming hmm. 2-0 down after about 10 minutes. <laughs> um, so maybe we won't look at that, but we will start from the top. The on and the best run of form, Wimbledon, but last game, 2-0 away from home. You were down to 10 men from, I think, the 66th minute. I haven't even watched the highlights, so how was the performance?
1: It was probably the performance that a lot of supporters have been craving for a while, Um there's lots of factors that I'm sure we'll talk about with our season, but one of them has perhaps been the clash between a manager and Michael Appleton who has a clear playing style and a clear belief and a full, a clear philosophy. Um, and the clash with, you know, those times when you're on a bad run, you've got injuries, you've got things going against you and maybe you need to play a bit uglier than what you would like. And sometimes some supporters seeing it as a bit of a stubborn refusal to do that. Um, I wasn't at the game unfortunately because uh, it was my mum's birthday so uh, that's a good excuse for not being there but um, having watched back the highlights and kind of read all the reports and followed supporters on twitter and things by all accounts it was a rare case of you know winning ugly um and was kind of praised as one of the one of the big wins of the season really so that I think that it te- it tells you a lot about the season overall that that was um that was the kind of story of the game really a, a, an ugly win a battling win um even, even though we had a bit of luck go against us, you know, we had a red card that has actually been overturned, which is basically unheard of at our level, you know, it, it doesn't often happen. And normally we had, you know, the bad luck goes against us in games and the players just go, the, the heads go down, the kind of the crowd goes up with them. So, yeah, it was a battling, ugly win and something that we've not done enough this season, to be honest.
0: I've got to be honest, I think I put the mockers on you when I did, um, <laughs> I, I used to do the, the 38 podcast and we were doing our a, um, a predictions table and I went, ah oh, yeah, Lincoln win the league. I don't know why, I had no reason behind <laughs> it because I don't think about these things that just say words and hope that they're string together well but the result actually is left here 16th in the table at the time of speaking, which after a win and still being 16th, yeah, I, I get that's not great. It's far from where you were last season and it would be fair to say it doesn't represent the upward trajectory that you've had over the past say, half a decade. You've yeah. touched on it a little bit there, um, but why has it faltered so much this season outside of what you've mentioned already?
1: Oh, goodness me, where to start? Please do interrupt me at any point before I go through all of this. I think the first thing to say, and I'm sure Sunderland fans will have noticed it, even in that game that we played at the stadium alike, just the players, just the the the, the kind of talent that we had in the squad um, I'm sure you remember from the playoff games in last season and everyone's talking about him now Brennan Johnson proving that he was far far too good for League One we were so lucky to have him last season Um, then halfway through the season we kind of supplemented that by getting Morgan Rogers from Man City he's now been at Bournemouth all season again proof that he was far too good for League One and we also lost George Grant who was our captain and kind of central midfielder creative player top scorer lead assist leader he went to peterborough in the summer so you lose those three players really and it's it was evident early on we brought in lots of new players there was some excitement around some of them Um one of them of course very familiar to sunderland fans in chris Maguire. Um i'm sure we'll come on to talk about him in in more detail but it, it was the first thing to say is it's simply a case that we lost three very very good league one players and we didn't replace them because you some people would argue you can't replace people like that at league one level because they probably shouldn't have been in league one in the first place the flip side to that is you can make sensible decisions and i would say that we haven't we have this for, for the first time in the kind of lincoln story the upward trajectory both under the cowleys and then under appleton the recruitment has always been very good for the job at hand be it First get out of the National League, then get out of League 2, then stay in League 1, then have that promotion push that we had. The the recruitment has always been pretty much spot on. And the and the board have backed, you know, Michael Appleton and Jez Jaws, who does all the recruitment. But I would say that I wouldn't be alone in saying that, you know, I was looking before coming on the show. We've brought about 15, 14, 15 players in over the course of the summer and through the season, other than other than John Marquis, who we got in January and brought in up front. If the rest of them weren't there next season, I don't think many Lincoln fans would be completely gutted, um, which probably says everything that you need to know about the kind of recruitment. So those those two things are massive factors. Um, boring things like lots of injuries. Liam Bridcut, club captain, very experienced man in a very young team, very important to kind of giving a grounding to that youthful exuberance that Michael Appleton likes to play with. He's been injured for most of the season. Uh, Tom Hopper, scourge of um, Sunderland fans after scoring, I think, that goal in the second half of the second leg. Um, He is so important to the way we play. We do so much work off the ball. He's been injured for most of the season as well. Injuries in defence as well. So all that becomes kind of a a not very pleasant uh, mix that has just kind of contributed to never being able to put any kind of run together. I was again, looking back at the fixtures, we've only won two consecutive matches in the league once all season. And that was when we beat you and Oxford on the two on the spin. And then we're thinking, you know, obviously there was lots of chat after our game earlier in the season at the stadium, Alight about various things, uh, Chris Maguire, Lee Johnson and everything. But one of them was that for Lincoln, it was like, this is it now, this is it. We've cracked it. We've won two on the spin. Here we go. Next game, home game, Cambridge United, lost 1-0 in the last minute. Boom. Out Yeah, uh, off we go. And we've just never put any momentum together. So that's a very long-winded answer, but that's the kind of good basic summary, I would say, as to why we're in the position that we're in. Um, lost, lost star names, poor recruitment, bit of bad luck with injuries, and just never, ever being able to get any momentum going, get any kind of run going. And yeah, it kind of leaves us in this position where you know, we do, we do things like we get a good win at the weekend. We maybe go and get stuff tonight by Rotherham. And then you go into a big game at the weekend going, which team are we going to get? Who are we going to get? Who knows?
0: You touched on the, the players that have left. And this is going to sound um, quite accusatory, I think, especially when I've had your chairman on the podcast previously, because he'll probably <laughs> come back after this. But I think, you know, you've touched on the players that you've lost. And obviously there's been, that's something that's always going to have an effect on the team. Um and I was looking through the side that faced us last season at Central Bank and who you'd left. You've, you've mentioned loads of them there, George Grant, Brennan Johnson, Morgan Rogers. You've also lost, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his first name correct, but um, Tayo eddin I think Tyo it is. Tayo Edin, yeah. So he uh, was
1: with us just at the start of the season and was a kind of classic example of a Michael Appleton player for Lincoln, signed from an academy at Fulham, came in initially, looked completely out of his depth You know, lots of supporters, more traditional supporters, like, you know, my dad going, what the bloody hell's doing? He's rubbish. (laughs) I'm watching it with a slightly more kind of modern thinking head on going, I can see what he's doing. He's really talented. He just needs to bed in. And at the start of the season, he was, you know, by far and away our star player. Um, I think the first home game, I think we beat Fleetwood 2-1. He basically made both goals from left back and then promptly got snapped up by Blackburn. So, yeah, it, it, that was the kind of classic trajectory. But I would just say kind of in defence and to try and not get myself in the bad books with any of the Lincoln hierarchy so that, A, they don't ban me <laughs> from the ground and B, they maybe come back on your show. It's not that they, on the surface, the players they brought in were, were, were good signings. You know, they went for both similar type players to Tayo Edun and George Grant and Morgan Rogers and Brennan Johnson, both in loan forms from clubs higher up the pyramid and in bringing in young players that maybe Appleton could mould. Um, but, and also then bringing in a bit more experience, but it's just just not gelled, whether it's through lack of consistency, you know, not not quite right. But, I, you know, a good example is um, a defender that we've got, TJ Aoma. He was on loan from Tottenham last season, played at right back, also played at centre half. He was the guy who blocked Charlie Wyke's shot When White had the whole goal to aim at again, sorry, Sunderland fans for reminding you of horrible, horrible times, but Mm. (laughs) he, and he was brilliant. He was one of, again, just seemed to have all the momentum with him, making barnstorming runs from right back. And we signed him permanently from Tottenham in the summer. And I can remember speaking with Lincoln fans and going, oh my God, this is, you know, little Lincoln signing someone, a young player from Tottenham. Like we thought he'd play on loan for us and then go somewhere else. And he came in, and then I remember going in September to watch him, um, and we played away at Morecambe, and I forget the name of Morecambe striker, but kind of big, you know, centre forward, more traditional centre forward, and Ayoma just looked completely out of his depth, and me and my dad were stood there going, who the hell is that guy, and what has he done with TJ Ayoma? So again, that's another kind of sign that, you yeah, know, in some ways, it's, you can't explain it, but... It is just that kind of case that nothing has clicked and it's just not sat right with some of these players.
0: It's funny, I think, you know, often sides like Lincoln are definitely one you would mention. I think Doncaster maybe a few seasons ago mm. are sort of really heavily praised for their, their work in the loan market and a lot of, some not Sunderland fans, other clubs that, you know, want to be, where maybe Lincoln were last year, we will say, oh, why don't we do that? And, and we've brought in Doyle this, this summer and a few lone players and players from Premier League teams, Sirkin and whatnot. Um, And we've kind of gone down that route a little bit. That, for me, Deion Sanderson was probably our best defender last year far and wide. And he's obviously gone to QBR, went back to Wolves. And, and you lose these lone players eventually because they never stay longer in the season. So I suppose my, my roundabout point roundabout point I was going to make was and I don't know the, the the remedy to it either to be honest but often sides like Lincoln and, and Doncaster get praised for the work in the loan market and the young players that they bring in but is there always a danger that at one point that's not going to work i.e like this season and you've got to build a whole new team and it just doesn't fix and you get relegated and all that work you've done is knackered
1: yeah and I think as well it's it poses an interesting broader point and you've kind of I think you've kind of slightly touched on it there that when you get it right and you get Brennan Johnson and Morgan Rogers and some of these guys and they hit the ground running and you're going, we are a runaway train, which in some respects was what we were like last season. You know, we were good. We were very good. But I remember saying to you and to others that a lot of it was just about a young team full of confidence on a kind of run bit like a runaway train that you just couldn't stop us in some respects. And in some ways i think that with loan signings the, the opposite can be true where you get stuck in a bit of a quagmire where you can't get any momentum and it's not quite clicking so the manager then chops and changes a bit and then maybe as a a as a young player and b as a loan player you don't feel that kind of connection you don't feel that responsibility maybe you're thinking actually i'd quite like this loan to be terminated you know i'm not accusing any lincoln players of this i'm speaking in a kind of broader sense but maybe you're thinking I'd quite, you know, maybe in my loan I'll get terminated and I'll go somewhere else in January, which has happened with a few players. We had a guy, Dan Undlulu, uh, who was a striker on loan from Southampton, had played in the Premier League. He'd had Premier League appearances. Just, just didn't, you know, and I watched, he, I saw a few games, he tried really hard, but again, just didn't click. And again, and then he gets recalled. So it's that kind of stop-start, no momentum, um, and that's just felt like quite the case for a lot of the signings that yeah, and th- and then, as I say, you then find yourself lower down in the table, the manager's second guessing maybe, or he's thinking, I need to change something. You bring in even more players. again, you know i was I was going through that list that I mentioned fourteen or fifteen. And I actually stumbled across some players and I was like, I God, I forgot we even had him. And this is a guy we signed this season. Like that's for me, thinking about that as a Lincoln fan, like that's absolutely mad. It's like with some kind of Premier League big spenders. That's not the case. It's just been this chop and change looking you know you get the sense that Michael Appleton has been looking for it to click looking for someone to bring it together and you know it's just never quite worked so but yeah I think you make an interesting point that when it really works as maybe it's doing for MK Dons for example this season as it did for us last season but when it doesn't work it does leave you in this tricky situation we find ourselves in now where we're stuttering along hoping to pick up enough wins to stay up
0: I think everyone knows we are going to come on to it. I wanted to hold it to the middle part of the, <laughs> the podcast. I hope that people came with us a little bit, but um, one of the players you did bring in to replace the, the Brennan Johnsons and, and stuff like that is someone, as you said, we know really, really well. Chris Maguire, I was looking at his stats. Um, I'm beyond frustrated to see that he scored four league goals this season, three of them game against Sunderland. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll openly admit I'm a big Chris Maguire fan. We've spoken off air and, you know, he said, what's he like? And I said, oh, you love him. And, um, mm loved the shithouse where at Sunderland. I wasn't a huge fan of Lee Johnson, so I didn't have too many issues with the way that he reacted. I thought it was natural, to be honest. Take away what I thought about Lee Johnson. I thought it was a natural reaction and he did kind of... I was in the southwest corner when he, he scored his second and his third and he kind of like put his hand up to say like, look, it's not you, it's, it's him. And obviously, you could see the problem was with him. Um, but before mm. we go into him as a whole, how did his, his antics at the stadium like go down with Lincoln fans? Uh,
1: I mean... I'm hesitant to say heroic, but in the context of our season, it almost was like that. Um, As I I said before, that was two wins on the spin. It really felt like a significant moment in the season, not just because, you know, and I'm not embarrassed to admit, Lincoln beating Sunderland at Sunderland for any Lincoln fan, apart from one who's maybe five or six and is used to us suddenly being this attractive league one side. I'm going, wow, we'd we'll be in Sunderland at the Stadium Alight, like, 3-1. Like that, Maybe that's annoying for Sunderland fans. That's still pretty cool for me. But So I think that, um, you know, and it came at a really significant time in the season. Uh, to give you the kind of context, there was a funny moment with Michael Appleton's wife, who is quite prominent on Twitter sometimes and is very funny, often like tweets and chats with the fans and stuff. And some of them had started to turn on Michael Appleton a little bit over the Christmas period. Anyway, after that Sunderland game, she tweeted Appleton out, which obviously just went down a storm and was just, you know, great fun, great dark humour. So I think that's just giving you the context. And then when you place a Chris Maguire hat-trick, as you say, some top shit shithousery at his former club, the manager sent off, you know, Lee Johnson is becoming and has probably become one of those managers that at our level is not popular um, amongst other fans, just doesn't seem to be someone that you particularly like. Um, so yeah, it, it it was really almost iconic, and you kind of thought, ah, this is it. This is you know, I remember thinking, this is what Graham was talking about. This is what, um, you know, another good friend of mine, Kenny, who's a Sunderland uh, fan and season ticket holder, um, and has been a Sunderland fan even longer than you, Graham. He he said similar to me about Maguire, um, you know, a bit bit of a marmite kind of character, but is capable of those kind of things. And I was like, hey, yes, finally, he's done it. But then, as you say, look at the stats. He hadn't done it since. So, yeah, that, that that's that's the kind of moment. It felt like a kind of iconic moment. But, you know, I don't know whether you're kind of going to press me a bit more on his overall impact. But in isolation, yeah, almost verging on Lincoln legend territory.
0: <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like I, I've touched on it before. I really like Chris McGuire, but there is a you said Mike. before, I really do think maybe 60-40 in his favour, I haven't surveyed mm. the Sunderland fans, I'm totally just making this up in my own head, yeah. so I could be completely wrong, but I think a lot of Sunderland fans had a similar opinion to you that when he left, it felt like some fans were like oh, I kind of will miss stupid little Chris, and I was yeah. one of them, and obviously I had the nickname of the King, and that riled other people up because we're like, oh god, League One, he's the King, he plays one good game in five, and you know, when he's good, he's good. And when he can't be asked, he can't be asked. And um, I thought he was just a League One player. Um, mm. that on his day he was brilliant, but he's in League One for a reason, had been for a while. Other people just felt like he couldn't be asked, if I'm honest. We'll never know. Um yeah. but his performances as a whole take away the stadium light performance and the goals he scored indicates that maybe those Sunderland fans are right about Maguire and that a Maguire at Sunderland is not really missed. The Lincoln fans feel the same way about his performances.
1: I'd say increasingly so, yeah. Um, I think there are lots of people like me who, when we looked at last season, we looked at some of the big games towards the end where we were going, oh, God, we really should have got automatic. We're looking at that final against Blackpool and thinking what we lack is a few Chris Maguires, i.e. the shithousery, the getting in the ref's face. I think I said it to you before last season, under Michael Clapton, we're a very nice team sometimes which winds me up nothing rotten because I've seen us at the lowest of the low. And obviously that's the opposite of what Danny Cowley's Lincoln teams were. They were peak time-wasting shithousery, you know, led by Matt Reed and others like, you know, Michael Appleton's teams can sometimes be very nice. So I thought, great, this is perfect. Experienced guy, you know, another kind of figurehead on the pitch. But even that kind of area of his game has come across in not the right way you know there's been a few times at home games which has been a big area of our season where we've fallen down we've been atrocious at home absolutely abysmal um and almost to the point where the big following that we have at home becomes detrimental and there've been a few moments with Maguire and other players where there's been a bit of sniping with the crowd you know he's not like the attitude or the reaction of some of the crowd and he's had a pop which hasn't gone down too well um <laughs> It was a recent game I was watching uh, where we lost to Ipswich and kind of everyone was like, why hasn't he made a change? And the chat generally was just anyone to replace Chris Maguire. Um, so that's the kind of the mood around Maguire. I would say at this point in the season, legendary performance against Sunderland for which we will never forget, but ultimately not great. I will say quickly in his defense that because of some of the things I talked about at the start of the season, inconsistency with who plays where and lots of injuries, I would say that he's probably been played out of position. I don't know whether that was something that affected his time at Sunderland. I'd probably be interested to know what you think his best position is. I kind of looked at him and thought, is he like a kind of number 10 who needs to play off a striker, which in modern football doesn't really exist and certainly at Lincoln doesn't really exist. You know, there were lots of games in the Christmas period where he had lots of injuries, where he was playing up front on his own, which, you know, I've only watched him for a season. I'm sure you'd tell me is basically a disaster for a player like him. Um, You know, he's not a guy who plays back to goal. You know, he needs to be given little flicks into space to try and create something and make some magic or balls in behind. But that would be in defence of him. But I would say the overall, you know, view of him is that slightly, I I wouldn't want to pin it on him and say he's emblematic of some of the things I've talked about, but he very much is, some of the things relating to Maguire does sum up the season, if you like, not quite delivering what we thought it was going to be, not quite clicking, and also a bit of bad luck with how he's been able to play.
0: Interesting, and you said you're curious about where he played best. I think when I really think about it, and I had thought about it towards the back end of last season. And thought, you know, When was his best spell? And he's one of few where his best spell actually probably came under Philip Parkinson when he played mm. almost like two number 10s behind Charlie White, Lyndon Goochin, and Maguire. And, and he was really, really influential in that period. Um, under Jack Ross, he either played on the left or in the 10, but Jack Ross would either playing for five games and get sick of him and drop him those points where he would even get on the bench and then mm. as soon as he was dropped and he'd come back on the bench he'd have the best performance ever for 25 minutes and you get in the team play well for two games and as much as I love Chris Maguire I completely understand people getting frustrated yeah. at his inconsistency because I've got a question wrote down here which I think I know the answer to based on how many times I've seen him um, did he save his best length in performance for Lee Johnson and Sonnen? 100% 100% to the
1: point where Weirdly, I was talking to my dad about coming on, and he said the only thing I want you to say on my behalf is that I hope Maguire doesn't play on Saturday, because you can't do that twice. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can maybe do a goal in each game, but you can't do a hat trick twice. And in the in you know in in the position we're in in January, things are a bit more up in the air, as you said at the very start of the show. Business end of the season now, if as it looks like it being the case. 2-0 down half, you know, at half time. we're going to lose tonight. That kind of undoes the good work of Saturday. We go into the game with you, you know, need, needing at least a point, um, you know, hopefully getting a home win. You just, this, this is my dad's uh, years and years of being down the bottom of the football pyramid, but he just, he's like, just don't play him. He'll get himself sent off. He'll try and repeat the same thing. You'll be desperate to score at the end where all the Sunderland fans will be because all your fans will be in one end of Lincoln's ground. And you just, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice. Um, He very much did save his best performance of the season for Sunderland away. There will be lots of Lincoln fans hoping he does it again. There will also be lots of cynical ones like my dad who's going, stick him on the bench, maybe bring him on for the last 10 if we need a goal, but don't put him anywhere near the starting (laughs) eleven.
0: Feel bad that I'm kind of saying this because I I love Chris Maguire. But um there'll be a lot of Sunland fans hearing everything you've said and going, Yep. Yeah, that's Chris Maguire. And oh, I, yeah. Absolutely, I assume yeah. Aberdeen fans will be the same. And I mean, obviously I've to one or two Aberdeen fans and they they barely remember him. It's like, oh just another one of those that should have been good mm-hmm. and wasn't Chef yeah. Wedd fans, I think the same, but but one player that has actually done really well, um, I've had my pal Hugh on the Portsmouth show as many times as uh, from Portsmouth on the show as many times as you have been, and it's fair to say that John Marquis really didn't work out, and he was being polite with that, I think. But mm. it seems that like he's gone to Lincoln and found a new lease of life. How good has he been?
1: He's been fantastic, and I think again uh, riffing off my conversations with my dad, because as a Lincoln fan, you don't have many mates, so it's just me and my dad chatting about the team often. Um, but we said when he signed that. Probably the other thing that I didn't mention in my overall summary of what what's changed for Lincoln this season is that we've just been sh- struggled with goals so much, so many times in this terrible run that we've had at home. We've dominated possession, created quite a lot of chances, but just not had either the killer final ball or anyone anywhere near the box, you know, to t- to finish a chance. Because, as I said, maybe it'll be someone like Chris Maguire is leading the line when he shouldn't be. Or we're playing two wingers as front men because we've got no we've got injuries, et cetera, et cetera. So when he came in, I think when me and my dad said, if he scores eight goals, that'll be a great bit of business. I think he must I think he must be on five or six already. Um, yeah, I think yeah, five. thanks. <laughs> I think it's probably been the the best transfer for us this season and it seems to be like a perfect marriage of convenience, because as you said, it just didn't click for him at Portsmouth. And I think he felt he needed a change and he's come to Lincoln on a short deal, whether he'll stay with us or not. But the point is that he will end the season wherever Lincoln ends, he will end the season with his you know, credentials proved once again. Um, and put in, you know, using that old cliche, he'll have put himself in the shop window, if you like for another Lee one club to come in and take a chance on him. And, um, He's been excellent, and he was very much symbolic of the hard-working, grafting win that we had against Wimbledon. The second goal, when we're down to 10 men, comes from him charging down the goalkeeper, blocking blocking a clearance, keeping it in play, and sliding the ball across the box for a midfielder to score. So he's been the real bright spark, and if we are to stay up, probably I'd put a lot of it down to him And since he's come in in the January window.
0: Of course, he's only scored two goals against something this season, so <laughs> hmm. um, it happened last season, so I'm going to bring it up. I'm sure it's a short conversation, yeah. but uh, injury crisis <laughs> last season you brought in, um, oh god, Bersic, uh, Joseph Bersic yeah. from Stoke, which obviously, pardon my French, pissed us off, um, because <laughs> it obviously worked in your favor, and obviously we're very biased, um, but you're having similar issues. I see you've been starting with as the claimed a rookie keeper in in Josh Wright, I think his name is. Um, Appleton is looking to bring a new man in the sticks, potentially as an emergency loan. Do you expect anyone new in the sticks by Saturday?
1: I don't know. It would probably be, again, quite symbolic of the contrasting seasons. You know, you think about that scenario where Alex Palmer, who'd been our number one, um, had played... I think he played some something stupid like every single game in every competition for us last season, the guy we had on loan from West Brom, and then gets injured before the first leg. Um, And we're all thinking, oh my God. And then as you say, we get Bursic in from Stoke for one game. He plays pretty good, makes a few key saves. That again, symbolised our season that we just kind of had things that went right. This season, even, you know, I would be surprised if it, came off in that we got someone, and even if we did get someone, the way the season's going, this is not me being deliberately pessimistic, it won't be of the same level, I would say. Because also Josh Josh Griffiths, excuse me, who's been our number one this season, um, again, it sounds sounds like I'm, you know, a broken record, but it's a similar pattern um, of things, trying to do the same thing and it not quite working. We went for a young goalkeeper from West Brom's Academy, an academy which... Michael Apton has good links with. Um, and he's just not been quite as good as the guy we had on loan last season. Like He's been good. He's not been one of the worst players, but he's not been quite as good. So that situation and the current one we find ourselves in, I think the feeling is that it won't quite you know, pan out in the same way. So for Sunderland fans, I wouldn't be expecting the exact same thing to happen, even if um, on Friday afternoon when you're preparing for the game, you see that we've managed to bring someone in I wouldn't. I wouldn't be expecting it to be of the same quality as uh, Bursic. That, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, he was really good. I think that was probably part of the frustration, wasn't it? Come and think of it. But that's in the past. I think. Um, one thing I really enjoyed last year. Obviously, you came on. I think sort of th- three or four times in the space of about a week because of the games that we had, <laughs> and we were we were trying this reaction show with the away fan on and stuff, and. Um, because it was such a crucial point in our season, I, I found it really interesting your thoughts on Sunderland. Because at the time listening, mm. it was just such a different perspective to what was probably shrouded in hurt, but also happiness that I was back at the game, which is kind of that weird time we got to go back in the stadium, and but was still shit in the first leg, and then the second <laughs> leg we were good for forty five minutes and went out of steam. But the basic what I'm trying to make was I quite enjoyed your your viewpoint on Sunderland, and obviously I want to grab your thoughts on us a little bit. You, mm perhaps all the best and worst of us last year under Lee Johnson. Mm-hmm. Obviously, his, I think it was his second game. we we'll beat you 4-0 at Lincoln. Jack yeah. Diamond playing brilliant. Never played the same yeah. since, to be honest. Um, and then in the playoff performance at your ground, especially, we were absolutely dire. Um, yeah. We started this season very much in the 4-0 against Lincoln kind of vein. Yeah. We've had a little wobble in the middle. That ended up in our manager getting sacked and us basically falling out of the the automatic promotion and um, contention. But in short, we've lost another manager, as we figured we might have done um, at the back end of last season. But what have you made of Sunderland season on the whole?
1: Oh, it's really fascinating. As you know, you mentioned at the start, I think for listeners, with teams like Sunderland, I have it's difficult for me to have the same kind of view as to say thinking about a Morecambe or a Wimbledon or someone like that, because Sunderland are Sunderland. And as a journalist for a national newspaper, you are a massive club, to use that kind of phrase. And therefore, as a journalist, in a professional sense, you're a team that I follow and cover in that sense, as well as being a rival club. So I do sometimes get uh, not distracted, but more focused on the journalistic sense, i.e. the narrative around a club, rather than the kind of basics of these are a rival team and what are they playing like? And I get to me, on the outside, it feels like a real pinch point now where... <laughs> I guess you would say, and a lot of us some other Sunderland fans would say, every year has been the year we've had to get out of League One. But it slightly felt like this season with Johnson after after the last, where from the outside it felt like, you know, they just just fell short. He perhaps needed a bit more time. Um and it felt like I honestly felt like it was gonna click. You know, you joked about saying you'll you'll uh, I tip you to win the league. I actually had you finishing in the top two. Um and I think it it just felt that like maybe that pressure got a bit too much for for him as a manager, and maybe impacted the players as well. Um, I mentioned earlier a good friend of mine, Kenny. Speak to him quite a lot about League One and Sunderland. Um, you know, he's even more uh, well healed, shall we say, in the ways of being a Sunderland supporter. Um, you know, mix of blind faith and also uh, cri- crippling uh, pessimism, <laughs> I would say. Sadness. But, yeah. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. But I just, I think it reached that point where, you know, you played us and you made some really interesting signings in January. And I kind of thought, you know, was it is Danny Bath at centre-half? Yeah. Felt like that was seen as the... In a similar way to you know us signing Marquis and a few others, that's what we need. It felt like
0: mm-hmm.
1: times we're going, that's what we need, and then you su- supplement that with you know these creative players, Roberts, Jack Clark, and you're going, oh, that's pretty impressive. Patrick Roberts and Jack Clark going to League One, you know, and then again as a Lincoln fan, you're going, that's what we had with Morgan Rogers and Brendan Johnson. That as a combination of big commanding centre half and then you know creative wide players, hey presto. Jobs are good, and, and then I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Danny Bath had an absolute shocker, didn't he, on his debut or in the few games after.
0: Opposite. That he right. had a he had a great debut and then scored a fantastic diving header own goal against Bolton when we got beat 6-0, which then Johnson packed his bags and left.
1: Yeah. To be fair, diving header own goals, I feel like every centre half at league one and league two level has to score one at some point in their career. Like it should be an absolute prerequisite. You can't retire in my book until you've done that as a centre half. And to be fair um, to him,
0: it was an absolute beauty. So if you're going to do it.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So anyway, but the point I was trying to make is that it felt like then as a journalist and as a fan, when Johnson left, it felt like such a massive decision. you know. And I we were discussing it in the office in a professional sense because suddenly Roy King gets linked and it's, oh my God, Roy King's going back to Sunderland and all this kind of stuff. And again, stealing completely from my friend Kenny, he kind of summed up the scenarios where it makes me dead excited. But the pragmatist in me says, you know, go and get Grant McCann or someone else of a similar ilk. And then maybe you end up with that in Alex Neal now, you know, more of the pragmatic sense. And you mentioned it at the top of the show, maybe starting to win a bit ugly, being more pragmatic. Um, That's certainly Kenny's feeling as well, that he's been a bit surprised at the kind of more pragmatic long ball style play that he's seen. Um, in the games he's watched, which surprised me as well. Like I thought, Alex Neil's you know widely tipped as a you know pretty hot manager. Um, but I just do wonder whether, from the outside, for a club like Sunderland, for whom the narrative is so heavy and weighs, I feel, on the supporters, on the club, and potentially on the players, someone who just comes in and goes, "Do you know what? Let's let's just w- wait for the wait for the fancy stuff." Let's get in the playoffs and then we can, you know, maybe just win it, win it ugly. Who knows? So that's as a, both as a journalist that, and as a, as I say, with plenty of you stolen from my mate Kenny, but as a journalist, that feels like where you're at now. But also as a fan going into Saturday's game, I feel like we're going to come up against a difficult to beat Sunderland, which in the games we've played before, I've been a bit scared by, oh, bloody hell, Sunderland. Oh, my God, it's Sunderland. But it's almost like maybe Alex Neal is making you accept your status as a League One side, if that makes any sense, for a bit, just going, let's just, let's, you know, let's slum it down here properly like we're supposed to do and not kind of get become Sunderland, if you like, and let that detract from anything. Let's just get these wins, relentless, 1-0, 2-0, let's get it done. And, you know, I, I, it's going to be really interesting to see. I'm really interested to see what, su- what this Sunderland looks like, you know, I'm going to the game on Saturday, but yeah, you know, I, I'd be interested in your views. Cause that's what it feels like to me from the outside. I remember speaking about, you know, I give you, give listeners a little insight. When I mentioned Roy Keane, Graham's head dropped and he looked all sad and forlorn, you know, and I'm sure lots of other Sunderland fans are the same, but to me on the outside, I was like, no way, no way. Don't do it. Surely not never go back. Never go back. Same as I said with Chris McGuire, you ne- lightning never strikes twice, never do it. So to me on the outside, it feels like pragmatic time at Sunderland with a manager who maybe senses that. Um, but yeah, that's partly with views stolen from my mate Kenny, but also partly from my views in a professional sense. That's that's how I feel about Sunderland at the minute, overall in the big picture and also going into Saturday's game.
0: And you mentioned about Roy Keane AM, I've decided I've got you know what it's like. I got myself far. This is gonna sound like a journalist podcast now, isn't it? Mm. Jesus. But nonetheless, we all have our work and you sometimes get bogged down in it. Yeah. I said, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a few days off Twitter. I'm I'm just so <sighs> Sunland is just too much at the minute. I just need a minute to just go, I'm coming off. So I came off and I was going to Budapest. So I thought, brilliant, first holiday in a while with fiance. Celebrate mm. our engagement, be lovely. And I put my phone in my pocket, brilliant. And I thought, fantastic, I can do this. I'm going to do this for three days. And then I got a text saying the athletic said that Roy Keane's not coming. And I was like, oh, fuck. And it was like (laughs) three days, just stuck on my phone going, why is he not coming? Why is he not coming? But then I was walking back home um, to the hotel and Alex Neal was appointed. And maybe because of where I live and I know the personalities that exist and the places that he's from, and obviously everyone's different, but there is a general mm. demeanour in Glasgow, um, which I like. And some of the stuff he's came out with, I've been really impressed with. The performance is horrible, horrendous. Yeah. However, I made this point on our review show last week. We played really well against Charlton, uh, Drew nil nil. We played absolutely awful for 80 minutes against Fleetwood and Crewe, and we won ask me which I was happy with coming back on the train <laughs> and you'll find that the, the two ugly wins were. So yeah. maybe it's a, it's a really, really valid point. Um I was going to ask you what you thought about the Roy King Alex Neil thing, but you kind of summed that up, but um I think you're wrong with that. Cause Keane's amazing. <laughs>
1: um, but then he gets to stay amazing. That's what I mean, Graham. He gets to stay true. amazing in Sutherland fans' eyes forever. And I just think, again, this is more as a journalist than as a Lincoln fan talking, but kind of, Assessing it from the outside, you know, when you just think about that run you've been on, you know, unbeaten in five, conceded, what is it, one or two goals only? Something like that. And obviously I I follow you, as I say, I speak to some friends. Journalistically, I follow quite a few people who are Sunderland fans as well. So you see on match day when you follow in Twitter and things like that, you kind of see the, you see a little narrative play out, don't you? And it was interesting following your game on at the weekend. And it was kind of like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. This isn't good. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's good. Brilliant. Oh, great. And I dunno correct me if I'm wrong, but that almost in itself feels a little bit unsunderland-esque. Like, this is what I mean. From the outside, this kind of uh, mood or vibe, if you like, that Alex is creating is so opposite what you would have had with appointing someone like Roy Keane, where the euphoria goes through the roof, the nostalgia goes through the roof, the romanticised notion of he's going to do it again goes through the roof. And for a club like Sunderland, who've had so many ups and downs, so much heartbreak, that you're just getting rid of any chance of that. And it's almost like I just genuinely wonder whether Alex is trying to, you know, push that as much as he can, because he's like, we don't need any of that. We don't need any of that. Let's just get two nil wins. Let's get two nil wins. Get that playoff place cemented. You know, who knows? Still an outside chance, but let's get that playoff play cemented. Let's go into it with a real solid you know, little run going together and the feeling that we can beat anyone because we know how to defend. We know how to grind out results because yeah, well, we played lovely stuff last season and got beaten in the final. So there's no guarantee in that sense. So, I just, yeah, it would have been great. It would have been great fun, I'm sure. But I do wonder whether it's a good little you know, marriage that he's got going on at the minute, Alex Neal.
0: I must be honest and say that I was kind of like really looking forward to that Roy Keane post-match but I actually really look forward to Alex Niels. and it's because he he's so cutthroat and he's so there's a thing that I use a meme I use continuously which is when he first came in and said you know don't react well to negativity but sometimes it's an adult's game you've got to put your big boy pants on get on with it and grow up and I just thought brilliant yeah that 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 works for me and like you say ultimately under Johnson we were either fantastic or absolutely horrendous um under Alex Neil, pragmatic, I think, is what it would be. And, and that's when you're winning games, it's always something to build on. But um, one thing I'm, I'm not looking forward to is Saturday's game. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe because of the performances, but, you know, I think it's massive for, for both clubs and I think it's huge for Sunderland. Obviously, that's the one I'm looking at. I honestly yeah. think Lincoln will be fine, um, but you always think that when you don't follow the club. I think yeah. Sunderland might struggle to get in the playoffs, but I think a win on Saturday would be very big and... Obviously, tonight's results, which we don't know at this moment. And speaking of all games at half time, are very important too. But predictions, is always, a final question, Tom. Um, I'll go first. I've been doing all right. I think I got last week's right. I can't remember. But I didn't listen back because I never really listened back to my podcast until about like a year later when I've got to remember yeah. what the guest was like previously. Um I fancy Sunderland. They're put in a really good performance. I'm actually a little bit weirdly confident about it, if I'm honest. So I'm gonna go. Two nil Sunderland, I think.
1: I think. I'm gonna I've got one more question for you about Sunderland, which is yes. um borrowed from my mate Kenny. He wants he wants to know and I want to know. Because as I said, in January I was like, wow, Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark, you know, these these players that these serious players like why why do you think they'll play a part at the weekend? And why do you think it's kind of been a drip feed? Do you think it is maybe again linked to what I was saying? don't throw just the superstars in, don't throw the young creative players in, you know, drip feed them, maybe bring them off the bench. Like, do you think they'll play a part And it? You know, why do you think but they've been used like that?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of people have said the same sort of thing. Like, I think there was a couple of games when Jermaine Defoe didn't come on and there was all that chat about mm-hmm. Jermaine Defoe need to get his match fitness up and the same with Roberts and the same with Jack Clark. I think people weren't really aware of how little Jack Clark had played other than under-23 football. Jack Clark came on and made a difference in about three or four games in a row and, and didn't get started and we were getting beaten games or drawn games and he started at left wing back in this really weird formation where we've just got people dotted in places Um, but played quite well and Patrick Roberts had far and wide his best performance coming off the bench on Saturday whereas I thought he was a little bit of a show pony against Fleetwood, he did five upbeats and then misplaced a two-yard pass which made me want to Throw myself out <laughs> the nearest window, um, but then he, you know, it, him scoring and, and the way he came on and he was part of the, the trio. I would say that changed the game of Diaku, uh, Dan Neal obviously coming on and and Patrick Robertson, Jack Clark. I think give or take one or two Ori crosses because he's got absolutely no left foot like whatsoever, like it doesn't exist. Um, I think he did all right. I think Alex Neal's probably, like you say before, wanted. I had mentioned this the other day on the podcast. I mentioned is he maybe just making a solid defensively, and some people went, "Well, maybe we've just come up against you know bad strikers," but uh, that might be a point. But you know we've got a clean sheet against Wigan, got a clean sheet against Charlton. Jaden suckley's no mug, and I know he wasn't fully fit, and I know Fleetwood scored one due to a mistake from Bailey Wright. But defensively, we we actually maybe this is unpopular. I think we look quite. Decent. And maybe he's looked at the case of going, well, they're not fit anyway. So they're gonna flatter the deceive, which to be honest, Patrick Roberts did up until Saturday for me. And now I'm suddenly mm-hmm. going, no no, hang on, maybe this is the Patrick Roberts that I saw at Celtic when you know he was playing in the the team that won eight, nine in a row, whatever it may be. And then Jack Clark's gradually, I mentioned this on the preview, uh the review show on Saturday. I went, Is Jack Clark becoming one of our most important players here? So maybe he, like you say, is drip-feeding it in because the most important thing was what Sam Allardyce used to say. And it sounds lovely when Sam Allardyce says it. It doesn't sound yeah. that sexy when other people say it, but keep a bloody clean sheet, respect a, respect the clean sheet. Yeah. That's where Sam Allardyce started getting some results in the Premier League. And yeah, I know that was a while ago and vastly different quality of players. And then gradually brought in the Casuaries and the Kirchhoffs. So mm. the hopeful man inside of me, Tom, is saying that Alex Neil is the League One, Sam Allardyce, is a genius. Yeah. We're boring to watch. We're going to win games. We're going to keep clean sheets. But suddenly, we're going to just play really well going into the playoffs. And now I feel really positive. Why did you ask me that? Why would you do that?
1: <laughs> ah, so clever. I've managed. It's, it's <laughs> one of the pleasures of coming on this podcast, Graham. I managed to make a Sunderland fan seem hopeful. I think that's one of, one of the major life achievements, as long as I can do the same with my mate Kenny the next time I see him. Um, which unfortunately is after Saturday's game, so that maybe our friendship will hinge on the result. Prediction wise, I mean, so torn, having talked to all about how poor we've been, it would be incredibly incan to get a result against a Sunderland side who've, you know, as I say, unbeaten in five um, at, and at home when we've been shocking at home and when I'm going to watch us, when I've seen us win twice all season. So it would be incredibly Lincoln for us to get a result. Um, We do, in a very Chris Maguire sense, seem to turn up a bit more for these kind of games. Um, Not just Sunderland, but we've had it at other times in the season where we've got results. Nearly beat Wickham, uh, beat Sheffield Wednesday. (sighs) I'm going to go for a draw. I think, I feel like, We might fly out the blocks, get a goal, um, but I feel like the kind of experience and some of the Alex Neal-esque qualities that we've talked about will come through and that you guys will end up leaving with a draw that you'll actually feel quite maybe pleased with in the sense that it shows a bit of character. Um, And we'll leave with a point that at least I can trundle back on my train to London and feel at least satisfied that all my money hasn't been wasted as it has been so many times this season. So... I'll go either one all or two, two.
0: Don't think I'd be happy with that, but nonetheless, when am i ever
1: happy. <laughs> that's only because I've just built you up and now you think you're gonna win every game till the end of the season and that Alex Neal is the savior. That's that's on me, mate. I'm really sorry.
0: It is on you, mate. But um, Tom, I'm sure people will be pleased to see you all back on and obviously great chat as always and um, making me feel positive about certain things but <laughs> before I I'll let you go obviously I've been listening to the podcast you do with the times quite a bit mm. secretly Um it's awful, <laughs> that's why I haven't mentioned it now I'm telling you <laughs> right. but where can people where can people find the podcast that you obviously take part of and, and what kind of things to discuss because people who listen to this podcast I assume like podcasts about football yeah. it was one of the better ones so where can we find it
1: Find it at all your usual places, Spotify, Apple, um, anywhere you get your normal podcasts from is the normal line that we trot out. Um, there is quite a lot of Premier League on there, but we like to try and think that we tackle it in a slightly different way. We don't just do the the usual headlines. We try to go in-depth on certain things. We do try, pushed by me shamelessly, to have uh, plenty of football league content and debates around football up and down the pyramid. For example i think what's going on in the national league this season is absolutely fascinating in terms of the money that's being spent the clubs that are down there scrap it away um you know we might see an amazing story in stockport being back in the football league which for a guy who grew up in the northwest of england uh, lincoln away at stockport was one of my first first games i can remember going with my dad and a guy he worked with who was a stockport fan um and lincoln lost something like five nil and I ate about four bags of cheese and onion crisps. And my dad was <laughs> sarcastically cheering for Stockport at the end. So, you know, there, there, there'd be a great story. And we try to cover that as well. So, yeah, if you if you uh, want a break from hearing about Sunderland and uh, listening to Graham, come and listen to the game podcast and we'll hopefully give you something else to, uh, to mull over.
0: I'm pleased you dropped a name in there because I realised I hadn't mentioned it. And I was like, shit, people are going to be like... <laughs> All right, that's great. But what's the name of the podcast, mate? <laughs> um, but yes, you dropped it in. Good. Tom, thanks always so for coming on. Cheers, mate.
1: No worries, Graham,